Long-form television drama enables this kind of deep realism and never has it been achieved more successfully than in Better Call Saul. John Gray of New Statesman, a fantastic review of one of the great shows of the last 20, 25 years. That's right, Better Call Saul finished up this past week. No spoilers. I think Roy Bellamy is going to join us. We're going to try to go no spoiler. We'll see. We interrupt this episode with a producer's note. Roy Bellamy definitely gives away spoilers. Spoilers during the Roy Bellamy interview. Back to the episode. What's most amazing about this entire process is that show, the finale premiered on Monday night. I was visiting my parents. My dad does not have AMC. So I had to wait five days. And I was on Twitter here and there, social media, whatever. Nobody spoiled it for me. Incredible. Wow. Saturday night, I got to watch Better Call Saul. So I don't want to spoil it Dangerous game else. going on Twitter when you know that there's something yeah. you don't want spoiled. With algorithms and stuff, like I'm surprised that you're, that the phone didn't hear your brain thinking about Better Call Saul. It's like, oh, let's throw all these tweets at the top. He's, he's thinking, about, I'm, I'm convinced at this point our phones know what we're thinking. Like right now, I'm thinking about a food item. Not gonna say it out loud. My phone in a few minutes will have an advertisement for this type of food. Like I think it's that, I think that's where we've gotten. I'm not even kidding. I, it's scary how our phones are tracking us. It is terrifying. And that's the other thing too, is that now I don't like is not only do the phones know what they're thinking, but they're tracking your every move. Yeah. I mean, Google Maps is all your data. Would you like this app location? to follow, track you? It's like, they ask me now. Like these, I hate when that thing pops up. It's like, no, only when I'm using it. I always click that one. I don't know if that's oh, the right response. Access. <laughs> I'm like, it's like always, never, when I'm using it. Isn't that obvious? Shouldn't that be the obvious default when I'm right. using it? Yes, I don't want this always tracking my every move. Does your wife have the Find My iPhone app? Because then she can track you as well. My wife has that on me. Uh, I don't know. My wife can do her own with her iWatch. Like she can like hit a button and her phone dings like around the house whenever she loses her phone. So that, I don't know if maybe my wife's tracking my every move. I don't know. I'm not like tracking her. Late, late, late night at the Clevelander and all of a sudden she can just check Find My iPhone. I'm like, no, you're not. You're out with, we're out with Billy and oh, some other. Good thing phone. I don't lie or do anything interesting because I did not know that she could be tracking me. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, it's a perfect segue actually to the whole topic of phones because like Chris was saying, it feels like the phones know everything. It's another way of saying Big Brother is watching you. That's a reference to 1984, the book from George Orwell, an absolute classic. My buddy Anish Shroff tweeted that he reread it. So I said, well, I don't want to reread it, but I'd never actually seen the movie. So that's one of our old movies this week, John Hurt and Richard Burton, The Totalitarian Future Society, 1984, along with Road to Perdition, as promised, the 20th anniversary of that film starring Paul, Tom Hanks and Paul Newman. More Paul Newman coming up next week. I just watched The Long Hot Summer on HBO Max. That'll be our old next week. Anyways, we got great stuff this week. Um, as I mentioned, I was back on vacation back in Toronto. It was always great to back to go see family and uh, my friends and everybody. The one story I want to share with you, because food is always a topic here, especially the price of food. We went to Canada's Wonderland, which is, you know, Canadian version of uh, Disneyland here. Not nearly as spectacular, obviously, but pretty good. And my cousin got us a good deal, $50 tickets. Normally it's $80 tickets. I think Disney's probably $125. So, you know, inflation, we're doing pretty good here with Canadian dollar. And after a few rides, and the way you got to do it, I'm sure it's the same with Disney. I'll leave it with Disney, you get burned. I mean, there's no way to do it. But here, Tuesday, 10 a.m., park opens. We're there at 9.30 when the parking opens. 30 deep, you're in there, boom. Okay, get right to the kiddie rides. I can believe we knocked out like five kiddie rides in an hour. I was ecstatic. Yeah. Normally you're thinking, right, 30-minute hour wait per. But you, you, know, you know this. Never go weekends. Try to go early. Go when the weather's not great. Go a little gloomy. Maybe some light rain in the forecast. I'm like, great, you can crash it those days. So my kids got a little bit hungry. It's around noon. I see some food there. I'm Oof, like, okay, what do we got? They're gonna get you. <laughs> so I was like, uh, they go, you, I go, you always want grilled cheese or chicken tenders? And again, I'm thinking it's kid size. So I'm like, um, they go, okay. and then my cousin's there. He's got a couple kids. All right, 
I'll get three grilled cheese, three chicken tenders. I didn't realize they came with fries. Take a guess at the price. Three grilled cheese, three chicken tenders. I'm going to think that each chicken tender and fry was, you said it's expensive, so I'm going to guess high. I'm going to say those were 14 bucks each. So that's 42 bucks for that. And then the, the grilled cheeses and fries, those are 11, like nine bucks each, 27 bucks. So we're at, we're getting like close to like 70 bucks, 75 bucks if my math's right. That's what I assumed as well. I said it's probably 10 bucks a head. So it should be 60. With inflation and the fact of a theme park, it's probably 80. I thought it was going to be 80 bucks. I'm like, it's an absurdity. Yeah. $116. Oh my God. <laughs> Like I almost fell over. I almost started laughing. I go, that is so outrageous. Did you and, say, you're the type, you probably say that to them. You're like, this is ridiculous. No, no, I accepted. I was just like, okay. I'm like, it's not your fault. I'm like, I'm not going to blame you. I'm like, this is life the way it is. I'm like, and the tickets are normally 80. We got for 50. Okay. But I'm like, I should have just canceled the order right then. Because the food comes and the fries are fine. But the grilled cheese, it's excessively big. I'm like, wait, this is a kid. Like, it should just be a small grilled uh, cheese. So but, you could have done, you could have been two each. You could have done two each. Yeah, exactly. I should have gone two tenders, two grilled cheese would have been better off the grilled cheese were not finished and it was just a bit of a mess oh, it was just the like tenders, cold way, unmelted it, cheese <laughs> correct and you always want more tenders you want like eight tenders they give you four tenders yeah brutal yeah so the tenders were good the grilled cheese i missed on and then what i told my cousin because they went on a different ride I go, when you come back we got to finish this food i don't care what happens no matter what he's like don't worry we will finish this food later on i took my kids we went out my cousin stayed as i was driving home nine hour drive home we stopped. There was like a restroom plus a little prey area. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go there. And I checked in the bag to change my little guy's diaper. And I opened it. I'm like, oh, my God. The grilled cheese is still there. <laughs> two of the grilled cheese still remain. Like two pieces. So one order. And I'm like, oh. And I showed it to one of my kids. I'm like, you want to bite? He's like, ah. Oh. My other kid's kind of like, mm. and I'm like, no, no, you're not shots. We're not going to eat that. Like, I'll throw it up. And then I look even lower. The fries were there. <laughs> oh, five. Oh, wait, I pack. saw this. It was five days yeah. old, right? Yeah, that was disgusting. Five-day-old French fries. So um, if you want to see what that looks like, you can check out my Instagram and my Twitter. I wanted to post to both of those. There was a bluish hue to them, a bluish hue. (laughs) Good use of bluish hue. It was just disgusting. Although someone said, that actually looks like it's real food then because it should be moldy like that. I'm like, great. I'm glad you're an expert in knowing what five-day-old food looks like. People do this like, oh, real food rots quicker. Like, I mean, it was five days. It wasn't like it was six hours. I mean, correct. most food is going to rot in five days. (laughs) (laughs) It was just ridiculous. But other than that, spectacular trip. Canada's Wonderland, I highly recommend it. Just just don't get the food. And you can pack your own food. That's the other part of it, too. My cousin had packed, like, chips and other stuff. You can do that? He's like, yeah, if you have kids, it's okay. I'm like, really? He's like, oh, yeah, pack your own sandwiches. You got water, no problem. Yeah, my wife is big on that. Right, movie theaters, no outside food. That's always the big thing, right? No outside food, no outside drinks. You can't smuggle anything here. It's no problem. So then we went to the zoo, and I'm like, okay, smarter move this time. My mom was like, you're packing this. I'm like, yeah, we got chicken tenders. We got balls of water. We're good to go. Zoo is pretty good, although. I mentioned this because of our fondness for Ron McGill and Zoo Miami, who was one of the first guests we had in the revamped cinephile. As listeners of the podcast know, me and Shaz, we love gorillas. And the gorillas were awesome. There was like five gorillas there. Great. One time, two of them started fighting, kind of wrestling a bit. Very lots of information about gorillas, Nasser, et cetera. Awesome. But what animal would you expect to see the zoo that we did not see? And I'm telling you right now, Chris, this is like a top five animal you're going to get. I mean, top five animal, people go to a zoo. When you're saying top five, I'm thinking elephants, lions. Nailed it. Elephant. Number one. You nailed it. Number one is an elephant. We went there. We're like, we're going to see the gorillas. Boom. Got gorillas out of the way. Lion, one lion sleeping. Couple tigers, way in the distance. Yeah, it kind of looks like a tiger. Okay, cool. Penguins, got it. 
Um, rhino, great. Rhino was awesome. Big freaking nose. Let's go. Uh, cattle, giant horns. I'm like, yeah, awesome. Imagine riding those suckers. Hippos, awesome. We got a pygmy hippo. I'm like a really fat hippo. Like just vicious. Hippo is like one of the most vicious creatures you'll see. Just sitting in the mud, disgusting. Couple of, couple of those weird antelopes. You don't really know what they're called. Yeah. You got to look those up. I'm not sure what this name is. I'm like, okay. Apparently, it's a type of deer. Sure. Um, the giraffe, great. And I asked the guy, hey, where's the elephants? He goes, no elephants here. I'm like, how can you call yourself a zoo in Canada's biggest city, a city of 3 million people? We don't have any elephants. He goes, do you know Bob Barker? I'm like, the Bob Barker? Like, Price is Right Bob Barker? I'm like, yeah. He goes, his organization, they bought all the elephants. The elephants are in. I'm like, that's not true. There's, there's got to be. That I, is Omaha, a terrible excuse, too. How about you don't yeah. sell them all to Bob Barker? How about you keep a couple? We've lost the, yeah. <laughs> We've lost the elephant. Because every time you see an elephant, I go, man, a great trunk, great ears, bad skin. Like they just clearly need some like like just, you look at their skin you're like God that's it makes you feel better about yourself you go I, I use some Nutrigrain what's this guy gonna do I just can't imagine a scenario where Ron McGill's like yeah we don't have elephants anymore Shaq bought them all <laughs> it's like no we would keep a couple like maybe we'll give them one if we have a lot but like what is what a weird excuse you've got to ask Ron you know Bob Barker. <laughs> Like, imagine, we have six elephants. We're going to get rid of all of them. Like, you know what? We're just, yeah. it, it, we're done. We're the price out. was right. They're like, look, we can't, would you turn down like this price for these elephants? Apparently, apparently, the showcase showdown took all the elephants away. Other than that, Toronto Zoo was great. All right, enough monkeying around. Let's get to Roy. Let's talk Better Call Saul. All right, a pleasure bringing Roy Bellamy right now. We're going to talk Better Call Saul because Roy is an avid fan of the show, as am I. And as I tweeted about it and tagged you, Roy, I said, I can't believe I was able to watch the show five days after its premiere and nobody ruined it. And I was on social media at one point. And you said, it's a good thing you didn't listen to Mystery Crate because you guys <laughs> spilled the beans apparently on Mystery Crate. Is that correct? Yeah, we went through a complete rundown of the entire season. So uh, especially the... Uh series finale so luckily for you you didn't listen so i'm actually happy that you didn't yeah now i'm, I'm curious before you guys get after it here is it consensus that this was great because i haven't seen any like has anyone been negative about this series and the finale i don't think so i mean again people would text and respond up to go did you watch or they just put brilliant and i go i haven't seen it yet and they go you're gonna love it like my brother saw it ej raddick i mean you name it everyone i know was like they did this is a, uh, roy i can't think like with breaking bad i remember some of the criticism most of it was very well received some of it was it was a little too pat a little bit too neat like everything got tied up there was no loose ends which is of course a reaction to the sopranos everyone's like well it's just one big giant loose end we still don't know what happened in the end so you can never nail these things but i think with better call saul they did a great job of giving us a resolution, unlike The Sopranos, but a resolution that was fitting and yet sympathetic and fair and in, in tone, I think, with the series. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I, I, I just find it funny that Jimmy was the only person that actually went to prison right. in, in the entire universe of this show. Spoiler alert. The only alert. person to go to prison. Is, yeah. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's been a, it's been a week, a whole week. If you haven't watched by now, then basically that's on you. So... <laughs> It's just funny because at the beginning of the episode, we probably should have told Roy this. Adnan's like, we're going to try to not do spoilers, but I, I agree with Roy, Adnan. I agree with Roy. Like, if if, right. if, if, if you shouldn't be listening to this episode with Better Call Saul in the title if okay, you haven't you seen the warning. finale You can yet. skip ahead five minutes from this point on. I promise there'll be no further spoilers. I mean, Roy kind of late with that warning, but yeah, sure. <laughs> we're going to redo the open, give people another warning. Yeah, right, that's great. true. Thank you. Look, think of it. Lalo Salamanca, Gus Fring. Um, Mike Ehrmantraut, Walter White, Pinkman. None of these guys went to prison. It's amazing. Most of them wound up dead. But but Saul's the only guy who actually faced a reckoning. I, I, that's just uh, hilarious to me. And it's it, he didn't deserve 
I mean, he deserved worse, obviously, than, other than going to prison. But it's just funny that the lawyer ends up in prison. <laughs> that, that's just the most ironic thing in that situation is just the lawyer goes to prison. I think the biggest question, I'm sure it was for you. I mean, my, my greatest fear and trepidation while watching the show every week, so brilliantly done, so much anxiety rising up. I'm like, what happens to Kim? I, and it was the same mm-hmm. thing that happened Breaking Bad. I'm like, is Walter going to die? Like, what happens to him? I remember talking like for years in advance. I'm like, does the cancer get him? Does he go to prison? Does he get murdered? And this time with Kim, it was like, maybe she gets murdered. Like, maybe she gets killed, and that just ends up just ruining Jimmy Saul. I'm like, maybe she goes to prison. I'm like, nothing could happen. I'm like, it's either going to be prison or jail. Uh, excuse me, prison or death. I'm like, oh, maybe she gets away. And I love the fact it's open-ended. She's, she's facing a massive civil suit. She's going to get taken for everything she's ever had because of the fact she has a conscience and was honest about the fact she was complicit in Howard's death. But do you end up thinking Kim faces any time? I guess the one lawyer is telling Saul on the plane, he was like, well, probably no criminal case because there's no evidence. But civil suit, she's going to get taken for every dime she's ever had and every dime she ever will have. Nah, no, and there's no evidence, and uh, any potential witness that was there is pretty much dead with uh, Lalo, so uh, there's that. So, no, I mean, there's really nothing to go on for the police for them to prosecute, uh, so yeah, she's not going to jail. Now, she's not going to die because when she ended up going to uh, uh, Hamlin's uh, wife, Everybody's dead, so nobody's going to go out there that way. So she's not going to get murdered unless, of course, <laughs> somehow, some way, Saul does something, which I yeah. never, ever, ever, ever. So that penultimate episode uh, when she did do that, um, I think it was a, I think it was the second to last episode when she did do that. Um, that's when I knew, okay, she's not going to die. So there was a relief. I kind of wiped the sweat off my brow on that one. So yeah. Not going to die, possibly not going to prison, just going to lose every last cent that she ever had, possibly. We don't know yet. Right. Uh, there was no litigation. She was able to actually buy a plane ticket to see Jimmy in prison. So maybe that didn't happen. We don't know. That's open-ended right now. There's no resolution to that as of yet. So I think uh, I'm happy with the result uh, that Kim received there during the show. Um, and Ray Seahorn played it excellently. Uh, she's very much deserving of that uh, supporting actress uh, nomination for drama. Good for her. First nomination for the show, and she gets it in the first part of this final season. So this, this, this last season was just wrapped up. That'll be eligible for Emmy consideration next year. So you and I have to hope that Ray Seahorn and Odenkirk get recognized in September of the Emmys for the first half of this final season. But if not, we will have next year to wait to see if they get recognized. Go ahead. Maybe, maybe Tony Dalton. He was only there for, what, one Two episodes for the last half. He's great. But maybe guest appearance. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Lalo's just so good in the show. I I think what I was happiest with the final episode as well was seeing who I thought was such a brilliant character and a real original creation. And as much as I love Kim and and Ray Seahorn, I think, knocked out of the park, one of the best actresses on TV, amazing performance. I think Odenkirk is essential to the show. We'll talk about Bob in a second. But the guy that I really loved, and I thought it was such a good character, is Michael McKean as Chuck. Because yes. that brother relationship informs so much of who Jimmy ends up being with Saul. And he plays so well in the fact he's brilliant but condescending. In the fact he can be um, arrogant but also incredibly vulnerable because he's got this terrible affliction. And I, I just, I loved his performance so much. It's one, I wouldn't say it's a criticism of the show, but like when I think about it now, 
With Breaking Bad, I think it got better with every single episode. With Better Call Saul, I don't know if it was ever better than when Chuck was on the show. That may be an unpopular mm. opinion, but that's how strong I feel Michael McKeon played Chuck that well. Well, I don't think the show regressed. I think it started at a high point because yeah. of Michael McKeon, uh, but I don't think the show actually regressed right. uh, once he left, uh, um, once his untimely death happened uh, during the show. So I, I, I honestly think that he was excellent uh, throughout the entire show's run. It was I was happy to see his uh, cameo yeah. in uh, in the final episode. Uh, so yeah, good good job by Michael McKean. And a, and I, and been, great... I liked him his entire career. I was oh, exactly. short circuit too for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might go with Spinal Tap, but no, you're right. He's, he's yeah, best yeah. show. Christopher Guest <laughs> movies, but Short Circuit 2, definitely among the films yeah. that Michael McKean has appeared in. It definitely showed mm -hmm. the range. Let's get to right. Odin Kirk. And I think this character was so good. He played him for 12 years, Roy. Like, it's amazing. Like, I mean, I think at 12 years you're playing one role over and over consistently. And I just can't think of any other actor who could have done it, particularly just the balance between comedy and drama. Like, he could do almost like slapstick comedy. Like, the scene where he talks about taking a giant shit, like that whole Cleveland steamer scene, is hysterical. <laughs> but then there's scenes of, like, genuine emotion and, like, especially relationship with Chuck. Um, when Kim leaves him, like, just the devastation in his eyes, like... I, I don't think anyone ever could have expected Bob Odenkirk could give this kind of performance over 12 years. And in, in Breaking Bad, it was a funny character. It was a comic creation. Here, he really added dramatic weight to it. I mean, I just think he knocked to the park. I hope he wins an Emmy. But even if he doesn't, I think people like you and me realize this guy is such a talent. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, he brought so much range to that character in this particular series because we saw with Breaking Bad, the only thing that he was was comic relief. Yeah. But, I mean, we learned, well, I mean, we didn't, yeah, we, I guess we could say we learned that he was a catalyst in the evolution of Walter White in Breaking Bad. Right. I mean, he kind of pulled all the legal strings on that situation in, in the previous series. So, the fact that he actually brought that nuance to that character, more, the more drama brought into that character, the way he evolved that character from his time is short little time the short little snippet in the first two seasons where he was in chicago on through the albuquerque years to the future to where he's now standing in prison that's that that's just great acting and hopefully hopefully he brings home the trophy Love Carol Burnett. Thought she was amazing. Great to see a comic legend showing up and being the character and so finding out what Saul's all about. That whole sequence was amazing and pretty ballsy, as my friend Rich pointed out, that they did it early in the episode. He gets caught. Like, it's like, boom. Like, in the, the, the second last episode, she makes the call. But in this one, he's racing around, gets some money, hides in the freaking uh, garbage disposal. Disgusting. He's garbage everywhere. And that's boom, boom. Oof. Get out. That's it. It's over. Ten minutes in. He's caught. Like, that's it. Now it's how many years he's going to get. Although I mm -hmm. kept hoping. I was like, man, slipping Jimmy. Like, the fact he got it down to like seven years ago. This is amazing. He's out in five with good behavior. Um, but that, that conscience which he grows, I mean, again, that shows his nuance. He does genuinely feel for Kim. And when he says it's showtime in that courtroom scene, were you not thinking like I was? Here he does one more time. He's going to get himself out of this. And instead, he buries himself. He was from seven years to 86 years as he jokes to Kim later. Well, you never know with good behavior. But I thought that was a nice wrinkle the way they twisted that on the show. Well, the entire episode was about regret, right? Right. So this is him making up for all of the regrets that he has had on from his brother on through the murder of Howard Hamlin, uh, through his relationship with Kim. All the regrets that he's ever had, that's his comeuppance. And that's basically him acting on his conscience and taking the punishment. Now he's facing the 86 years, maybe 
80 if he's on good behavior. But yes, now he's going to face his punishment. And I don't think he would want it any other way now. So glad that he's uh, able to, that he was able to A, survive, but he's going to die in prison. A, survive, and you'll probably feel good about his soul, I guess, in this situation. Yeah, his conscience is safe. How great was he seen on the bus? When they recognize it's him, they start chanting, better, call, Saul. But both a funny and just an unusual scene, which speaks to how great the show was. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a great scene. The, the, <laughs> um, I, went, I was thinking of uh, other prison bus scenes in TV and movie history. One that I... It was uh, another 48 hours is one I can think of. <laughs> and obviously, it's Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption, uh, they had a couple of prison bus scenes. Like, not many prison bus scenes that in, in movies and television, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really like an overhead shot, right? They're being taken to where they're being taken, but that's it. Then they go right to the prison. They don't really care about the journey there, which is must be just a horrifying feeling, realizing your life's about to end, depending on how long the services or how long sentences. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of the, the cameos from Cranston and uh, obviously Aaron Paul is Jesse Pinkman. I, I just I love seeing those guys back again, particularly the Walter White when he says, so you're always this way. I thought that was fantastic. I loved uh, Aaron Paul's back and forth with Ray Seahorn yeah, on the, uh, the yeah in the second to last episode. That was, that was nice. That was a good – if that would have been the exit for Kim on the entire series, I would have been good with it. Uh, obviously, the final episode's exit was better. Uh, the final scene with uh, Cranston and Odenkirk, that was good. Uh, and him saying, this is how you always been, is <laughs> – basically the death knell in this series this is how you've always been yeah that that's basically how jimmy has always been he's always been trying to find a con yeah that's how he's always been love the black and white love the shooting love the the montages i mean the the, the way it began the final season days of wine and roses all that stuff being taken out of his place in slow motion the fact that they knew roy how they were going to end it from the beginning i think is critical i was reading an article about peter gould in the hollywood reporter the fact that they started with gene in the cinnabon like that's what made better call Saul so special it wasn't just a prequel to breaking bad it was a prequel and a sequel and they were constantly time shifting including all these characters like i just think imagine mapping that out gold and vince gilligan we're gonna go here gonna go here gonna go here and it was so deliberate it was so drawn out that was the key right so many other shows it's wham 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 with this it was a slow burn a nice reveal and it was a real tragedy at the way this guy's life just completely changed mm-hmm. i was thinking about the um the black and white scenes and uh the meaning behind it was it Jimmy losing his color? Was it him losing all of his, you know, fervor? Because now he's in Omaha. Now this, he's living in purgatory, basically, waiting for his demise, his doom. And I don't know. I don't know if it is. Because he did try. He did try to slip in Jimmy a bit. And that, team, that seemed to have worked. But. Again, I mean, he worked his way into purposely getting caught. So maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he didn't get his color back on that one. Maybe that's why it was still black and white. Yeah. Have you had any Cinnabon since the show concluded? That, that episode of the guy, I mean, that acting is some of the best acting I've ever seen. The guy, the way he relished eating that Cinnabon, the security guard, while Saul was keeping him distracted. I, I don't know if anyone has ever enjoyed a meal more than that guy. Yeah, the guy from Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah that guy. Yeah, uh, like, man, I, I wish I could have a cinnamon right now. I'm fasting. Uh, oh. So, 
So I'm I'm stuck on that one. Like I, that that would be a, a good way to go as soon as this fast is over. So what are you tomorrow. doing to like you know, any little like? What am I doing during this fast? Yeah, come on, a little sneaking a little chip here and there. What are we doing here? What? No, he's no. fasting. You just said that. You can't do that. I, I can't. I can't. No, he can't say that, it publicly. That. Blink twice if you've eaten a chip. Oh jeez! I mean, the fans on in here, so I, I gotta keep my eyes from mm. getting dry. So unfortunately, I won't be able to like. Not blink I thought I saw you once. tweeting about like ways that you can work around it. Like, what was it like? Lime? You can like squeeze lime or something? Or like there was? No, it was all liquid. It was maple syrup, two tablespoons of maple syrup, two tablespoons, oh, tablespoons lime or lemon juice, some cayenne pepper, um, a little bit of salt for electrolytes because you gotta have electrolytes otherwise you. <laughs> dehydrated and stuff like that and the water so you mix it all together all liquid <laughs> sounds terrible three days yeah. i mean it's a fast you think it was going to be enjoyable it sounds it's more like a slow okay uh, on that note it's great to have roy here uh i'm doing the shooting which uh, kim did and now jimmy did at the end <laughs> great great way of ending the show uh better call saul one of the great shows me and roy loved it obviously from the beginning closing thoughts any uh, any thoughts you want to share with the show anything at all whatever you like what if they did another spinoff? Who would it be? Well, we had on Patrick Fabian as Howard Hamlin. And I told him, I go, I, I think your character is fascinating. Because I go, he's getting screwed over here left and right. But I just, I would like to know how he got to this point. He's so repressed. And he's got like the, those, <laughs> those suits. And like that shirt is so starched. I go, I want to know what is beneath the starch. Didn't that like, character get killed it? like a day after he was on with us or something? Wasn't yeah, he on? Was a couple weeks after. Because I would said to him on the interview, Roy, I'm like, hey, I'd love to hopefully we'll have a show about Howard. He's like, yeah, let's hope. Let Vince Gilligan know. Three weeks later, Boom, shot in the head. I'm like, okay, well, that one's not going to happen. But I, I always thought his character, I like the way he played it. I thought he was a really interesting character. His relationship with his wife at the, uh, the during the final season was a bit off. And, <laughs> and now we see, now I see his, uh, I guess now widow at the funeral, yeah. and just being all overly emotional. I was like, a couple of weeks ago, you were just drinking his coffee and just spilling it on the table and like, like, like and having him sleeping in the outhouse or the guest house or whatever house you had him in. Like, now you're all sad. Like, come on. Yeah. A character for you, Lalo? Yeah, Lalo will be uh, an excellent spinoff. Or you can just go into the entire cartel. You could do the twins. You could do, uh, you could do Hector. You, you could do Tuco. Yeah, you, Is there going to be another spinoff? No, and it was, no, I don't. Think but there's so. a new show with Odenkirk, which uh, Roy knows. During the final episode, they're like, "We say goodbye to Better Call Saul." Say goodbye and say hello. But say hello, Bob Odenkirk, new show, AMC next year, and Giancarlo Esposito, new show next year. As they're well. just so, riding the wave. They're like, "Come on, people, come on back." Oh, yeah. yeah, think about <laughs> yes. it. those guys to Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, another show, AMC. Once they get their hooks in, they're good to go. All right, last lead in. last question. Panthers talk, Kachuk. How excited are you? Ah, oh, went man. This is a. Uh... Last year, I, I said, well, Patrick Hornquist, that's our power forward. Okay, that's our one guy. He's going to be in front of the net for the power play. He's going to be there. And, like, and all of a sudden, Matthew Kachuk comes, and we gave up a significant load. Huberto Uyghur. I'm like, wow, okay. Like, I understand possibly getting, getting rid of uh, Mackenzie Uyghur. I mean, we saw his play in the playoffs, and, oh. It, it was bad. Cody like, said uh, Panthers like, fans had soured on him. It so was really bad, dude. In the playoffs, Panther bad. fans two, were really out on Uyghur. Game two, he blew an assignment that gave up the game-winning goal with, what was it, like two seconds left? Two seconds left in regulation? <laughs> that right, yeah. He blew that, that buzzer assignment. buzzer beater. Oh, I could still, oh. And Kucherov ended up uh, scoring the goal, and the Panthers went down 0-2. And 
the entire playoffs he was awful. So they went win now mode and he kind of caused him to lose. So yeah, I understand the 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 exodus on that one. But um getting rid of Jonathan Huberto with setting record upon record upon record in franchise history last season. Granted, he is five years older than Matthew Kachuk. And granted, he plays a different style than uh, Matthew Kachuk. But, jeez. I mean, the Panthers saw an opportunity. They took and they pounced on it. But, I mean, we'll we'll see. Uh, I think uh, the Calgary uh, Flames right now with uh, the Kadri signing. Awesome. They're front runners uh, to win the Stanley Cup uh, this upcoming season. Uh And the Panthers, I don't think they're going to end up going further than conference finals. But we'll see. I like the bold early prediction. Hockey coming back soon. NHL Network, uh, you'll see me and Bill Lindsay, one of Roy's favorites, coming soon. I, I, I'm with you on the Flames. The fact that, I mean, you're looking at a situation where you lose control of the Blue Jackets, and you know Kachuk's not going to resign, but you turn that into a, an unbelievable win. Like, the fact Kadri's seven years for $7 million, I'm like, that's pretty reasonable, actually, for both sides. And like you said, if you can end up re-signing Huberto, which is the massive question, or if you sign Uyghur, I'm like... Uh, a remarkable job by Proud Tree Living. All right, that is your hockey content here on Cinefile. I don't want to go too much further than this. Roy, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for being such a, a loyal fan of Better Call Saul like me, and thank you for giving us time here on Cinefile, and good luck with that fast. Thank you, Ed, and no thank you, Chris. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, thanks once again to Roy. A couple of other reviews here of Better Call Saul. Boyd Hilton of Empire Magazine. Better Call Saul's steady rise to the giddy heights of all-time classic television drama feels inexorable. And Sarah Ward at Concrete Playground. This series can astonish and delight like little else, including its tightly plotted and never predictable narrative, its sublimely cinematic imagery, and its many, many marvelous performances alike. Like Chris said... I haven't heard one dissenter so far. Everyone loves. I was scrolling through reviews. Like, I'm like, all right, I got two good ones. Like, let me see if I can find a review. (laughs) That's a little negative, and it's just, no. Great reviews all around for Better Call Saul. We're going to do some old movies now. Then we're going to get to our wild card. I forgot to tease off the top. Meg Gardner, who was the co-author of Heat 2. That's right. Michael Mann's celebrated 90s classic. He has co-written the novel. We asked for Michael Mann. By the way, he's in Italy shooting Ferrari. Okay, so we're not going to get him. But Meg Gardner's awesome, co-author of the book. You're going to hear Meg just a second. She is our wild card this week here on Cinephile. A couple of old movies that we'll squeeze in uh, before we get to her. 1984, in a totalitarian future society, a man whose daily work is rewriting history tries to rebel by falling in love. Have you read the book 1984, Cody? I feel like everybody has been forced to read this book. I've read of it. 
Like, I don't think I've gone through all of it, but there was a time I never went to a bookstore and read it, but it was given to me at some yes. point. I feel like it was mandatory in high school. All yeah. this, whether you're a Canadian, American, grew up in Ontario or Florida, you had to read 1984. <laughs> I feel read like it was a high it. school read. Yeah, but um, like Cody said, I think if you just know the basics of it, it is just a really dark, disturbing film. And a totalitarian future society, a man whose daily work is rewriting history, tries to rebel by falling in love. It's written and directed by Michael Radford, who I love because he did a movie called Il Postino, which I absolutely adore. Massimo Torisi, the late actor, was posthumously nominated. And the very gorgeous Maria Grazia Cucinotta was the uh, co-star on that film. Anyways, it's both based on the Orwell novel. I didn't want to reread the novel, so why don't I watch the movies? I've never seen it before. Richard Burton, fantastic. Who is, uh, Max Bredos has a great impression of Richard Burton. And once said if he was a porn star, his name would be Richard Squirton. Uh, but anyways, Burton shows up as the character of O'Brien, who I do remember from the book. He's the one that's kind of overseeing all of it. But it makes me think about today the way, you know, Chris was talking about phones running us. I mean, Big Brother is watching you at all times. This is the kind of film that makes you realize paranoia and fear because... Big Brother's watching the whole concept of double think. And one of the most jarring scenes in the entire film, John Hurt plays Winston. He's the main character. And Richard Burton is asking him, how many fingers am I holding up? He's clearly holding up four. And John Hurt says, four, four. It's a British film. He says, I can see you're holding four. And he just starts torturing him with this like bizarre advice. And he's like, listen, Big Brother tells you, sometimes it can be four, sometimes it can be three, sometimes it can be five. And as my friend Jay Nats was telling me, because it kind of sounds a little bit like a clockwork orange. I'm like, right, like that famous scene where they get the pupils open. Yeah. Just t- like, they, like, this is what Big Brother's about. And it makes you think about, not to get too paranoid, but what does the government want you to know? What does the government not want you to know? The fact that former president stole documents. I still can't believe, like, nuclear codes he's got in Mar-a-Lago on his toilet. Like, what is going on right now? Like, movies like this, when you watch them, you go, yeah, there's so much more to the world that I don't know what's happening. Yeah. But it's almost better this way. I like being in the dark. Because if I actually knew all the government intrigue and conspiracies and crap going on, it'd make life even more pessimistic and miserable than it is. Yeah. Don't you feel the same way? Oh, my God, yes. Don't tell me. Just don't. I don't want. I, like that's why I don't watch like the local news, man. It's just like, oh, I don't want to like. Why now? I know of uh, some this horrific thing that happened two miles from my house. I didn't need to know that. Right. Sports and movies. That's why you and I chose this line of work. It's escapism. <laughs> we don't want anything that actually really truly matters impacting people's lives. But if you like the book 1984, I thought it was a faithful adaptation, and it definitely is a dark movie, and I think definitely fitting uh, for what we're going through these days. Paul Atanasio, who's a great. Screenwriter, he actually co-wrote Quiz Show, uh, was formerly a film critic. His review, nodding to the movie's bleak mood, Burton bleakens himself, robbed of the pleasures of the grand show-offy way he could use his voice, the mischievous twinkle of his eye, you feel cheated. Of course, Richard Burton, I mean, you think about, like, thank God, I mean, just as an aside, Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson are done, because I'm like, that's just, it was one of the most ridiculous relationships. She's so hot, and this guy's just, a, like, come on. Whoa, like, kind of whoa, funny, whoa, no, whoa, 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 whoa. Thank God it's over now, because it was like, he, he outkicked his coverage so badly, it was offensive. Ariana Grande and Kardashian. It was like when Julia Roberts was dating Lyle Lovett. You're like, what's going on? Hey, I don't like what's happening here. I don't like what's happening here. As somebody who very often gets told that your wife is way out of your league, I don't yeah. like this. I don't like okay. this game. Well, then you should be the one that, listen, your wife is pretty, but you should be the one guy who everyone says that about. Rather than Pete Davidson, they go, hey, who can you think of who's like an average looking guy and his wife's like, oh, Chris Cody. Rather than Pete Davidson being the first one, Cody should be the first name out of your name. So actually, you should be happy that relationship has been wiped out. The reason I mention it, Richard Burton very famously married to Liz Taylor. If you want like crazy relationships, maybe at some point we should do what's, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, which is a classic movie. It's right now available on HBO Max. I mean, the, if you think your marriage is like, has a little bit of turbulence, go watch Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf and then read the real stories of what happened with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor back in the day, I mean, forget about it. Anyways, that is 1984. Molly Haskell of Vogue, watching 19. 19- 
1984 is a powerful, even terrifying experience, but so is being locked up in a dark closet. And one more from James Kendrick, Radford's visualization of Orwell's vision in 1984 is all the more powerful and disconcerting today for how frighteningly prescient it was. That's from James Kendrick. Exactly. That book and the movie are forecasting the future and this world in which we now live, this dystopian future, which is why it feels just so accurate and so unnerving. One other old movie before we get to Meg Gardner, co-author of Heat 2, Road to Perdition. A mob enforcer's son in 1930s Illinois witnesses a murder, forcing him and his father to take to the road, and his father down a path of redemption and revenge. It's one of the best films of Sam Mendes' career. He is a director of American Beauty and also 1917. Tom Hanks, a rare role for him playing a gangster. I remember at the time everyone saying it's a different role. He's a gangster. Like, if you watch the film, he's like the good gangster. Like he's not he's not the one who's like just blowing people away mercilessly. This he actually is, has a conscience. This is the movie that I think of when I think of me as like an adolescent teen and the movie comes out and I'm just like, "Oh, I I like Tom Hanks, but no, I don't want to watch that." Yeah, it's one of those where, the, you know, if you like Tom Hanks, you always, it's him in a different role. But you're right. If you want to see, like, big, this is not the Tom Hanks you're looking for. This is him <laughs> as a gangster, kind of fat, pencil-thin mustache, but he's trying to save his son. I love, the most I love of this film is the cinematography. Conrad Hall did it. The late Connie Hall was amazing. When I think about the film, when I rewatch it again, just certain sections of it, is that incredible finale. Like, I mean, where Hanks ends up killing Paul Newman, who is his father figure, but ends up putting a hit on him and betrayal, all the rest of it. Like, Newman is just standing there frozen. It's this gorgeous tableau. And then in slow motion, the camera's panning around. You've seen all the guys getting gunned in like this torrential rainstorm. It's a, it's a really, a, when you, I keep thinking, when you're making a gangster film, how can you make the violence interesting or different? And yeah. these guys actually did that in that final scene. Like, you know, Hanks is going to kill Paul Newman, but how can we do it? Oh, okay, we'll put it in a rainstorm in slow motion tableau. Okay, yeah. Music story. It's, it's really a beautiful shot. And eventually, Newman says, I'm glad it was you. And then Hanks guns him away. The best scene in the movie, though, which is one of, it's one of Scott Van Pelt's favorites, is when Newman and Hanks are kind of having their showdown and basically Hanks is trying to absolve not necessarily himself but his kid of any sort of guilt or complicitness and and Newman says there are only murderers in this room which is a great line like I mean, like we're, we're all on the same side of evil here but then Hanks says you know my son could be different and that's why he's he's fighting for the son so it's a really odd mix of a gangster drama a period piece it also ends up being a father-son story terrific supporting cast Daniel Craig in particular is very good Jude Law is just terrifying he's got scars everywhere ends up taking pictures of his victims the scene where he kills Hanks is fabulous like I think Hanks is getting away he goes to the beach beautiful sun-dappled beach just sitting out there by the window and poof, poof, gets popped um, but ends up saving his son as well so Road to Perdition it's a good little gangster film because of Paul Newman I watched the last movie stars which I have raved about I wanted to revisit it 20th anniversary of Road to Perdition so Better Call Saul gets four Maple Leafs Road to Perdition gets three and a half Maple Leafs and 1984 I will give three Maple Leafs now it's time for Heat 2 Meg Gardner co-author our wild card here on Cinefile well, Heat 2 is the number one best-selling book in all of America, and what a thrill to bring in Meg Gardner right now. She is the co-author of Heat 2, 1988 to 2000, and is co-written along with Michael Mann, who I believe is currently shooting a film right now in Italy. Meg, thank you so much. Congratulations on what an incredible achievement. Thank you. It's delightful to be here. I appreciate it. And yeah, what a week. <laughs> <laughs> you always want a book to do well, but number one New York Times bestseller list, that's uh, as good as it gets. Tell me how you first got hooked up with Michael Mann. How did this collaboration begin? We have the same literary agent, and uh, when Michael was talking about expanding the world of heat, 
as everybody knows, I presume on the Cinephile podcast <laughs> that Heat is his iconic 1995 crime epic uh, starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Val Kilmer, and more. Uh, he was talking about writing the before and after to that story as a novel. And uh, he is an extraordinarily accomplished and brilliant writer, and all his uh, work until now had been for film and television. So uh, he was talking about collaborating, which he has done before so successfully, uh, this time with with a novelist, somebody who had experience writing uh, thrillers, crime novels, uh, in the form of uh, prose at 100,000 words, 400 pages, whatever. So we talked a lot, and... Uh, Aside from being daunted, thrilled, uh, honored, uh, uh, I told myself, yeah, I've always wanted to write a heist novel. And when would I ever have a chance to do something as amazing as write it with the, um, the creator of the greatest heist uh, movie in, in history, as far as I'm concerned. So I left at the project and um, the result is out now. I'm extremely pleased. <laughs> I am uh, 316 pages through. It is 466, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're I'm two-thirds of the way through. And what I love about it is it's got these these different narratives. It's about Christian Harris picking up Val Kilmer's character. What happens after Ashley Judd gives him that great non-verbal body language? You don't get out of here. Don't come up, okay? We find out what's happening with Neil. We also find out... Excuse me, obviously Neil's dead. So we find out what's happening with Vincent pre heat, like when the movie takes off. So how did he first come to be Vincent, Hannah, and obviously Neil, and um, you know how he, his whole kind of formation was, was kind of came to be. I want to read this to you, though, <laughs> my favorite part so far, because I want to know, when, when you're co-writing a book, I, I'm always fascinated. Like, you know, it's not like Michael takes a chapter, you take a chapter, but maybe it is. I don't know. You tell me who wrote this section, because I'd imagine if somebody said to me, you can co-write heat, as you said, as a big fan I am of Michael Mann, just to be able to write stuff from Mike, Vincent, Hannah, Al Pacino's character would be hysterical. So page 122, he's talking to this character, Levinson. He says, message? Hannah looks to the ceiling. You mean like the sky is parting? A hand came down through clouds. A finger pointed at me. Hannah, hands off, Levinson. That message? I got it. Here's the answer. You're going to find out where this sick cocksucker is laying off his merch, and you're going to deliver that to me. Because anybody who aids and abets him by skipping out, by not being forthcoming, forthright, and forthwith, their ass is going dead along with this motherfucker. Did you write that or did Michael Mann? (laughs) At this point, who knows? Except let's just say that Michael has been inside uh, Vincent Hanna's uh, brain (laughs) since since the 90s. And... uh, Everything that's inside Vincent Hanna comes out brilliantly when Michael's writing the dialogue. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's such, and the thing is, I'm, I'm picturing it like I want to read it as Pacino, not being forthcoming, forthright, forthwith. Their ass is going down. Like then, and I heard, by the way, a friend of mine told me he's listening to the audiobook, and he goes, "The guy doing Pacino is incredible." Have you listened to the audiobook? Not the entire audiobook, but it's uh, the the narrator is Peter Giles, who's uh, who's an actor that uh, was. Uh, the Michael specifically sought to do the to do the uh, the narration, so uh, it's uh, it's amazing. All right, one more bit of uh, narration. I want to know who wrote this. You or Michael? This is a scene. Uh, it's a love scene, so that's why I specifically <laughs> want to know who wrote this. She undresses him. She doesn't pause when she sees the scars. Page two twenty five. But she does run her hand over them as if learning their contours will educate her about him. Her hair waterfalls across her face. She scores her fingers down his chest and around his back, and then she is on him. Chris is going to like this. It's like she's a fighter pilot who has landed an F-18 on a carrier deck. With the engines at max power, she's ready to accelerate and take to the sky again. 
Was that you or Michael? <laughs> we edited everything together. Let's just say that I, um, I think I did the first draft of that one. When you're writing a book with Michael, you know who these characters have to be. You know how right. you've got to, you're, you're working to make sure that you're, you, you, the the style that you're writing in meshes with uh, with, uh, with with your with your partner. So uh, <laughs> why not give it uh, you know put on the afterburners? Oh, a, a thousand percent. Um, I particularly love the scene. Again, I don't want to give it away, but where Chris basically figures out that this guy isn't who he says he is. And the, the, the way he figures out the tells is just so smart. And it's so well-written. It's so true to, I think, a guy like Chris and how smart and savvy he would be. Uh, I love the backstory. He first meets Ashley Judd's character. I thought that was really well done and, and achieving. What I'm curious about with Vincent's character, because you know, one of the aspects of the film, which I think it would have helped if Michael Mann had clarified this, Pacino gives these spasmodic outbursts. Right? Give me all you got. You got killed walking your doggy. And, and it was criticized by critics. Like, what, what the hell is he doing? What's he screaming? But Pacino explained, he goes, my character is a coke addict. So to me, I played him as if he's a coke addict. He's got these crazy age can't get out of him, which Michael Mann excised from the film. But now I love reading the book because it makes it clear. There's one in particular, Vincent hasn't encountered the lady at a bar. I'm like, hey, he's coked up. He's having a good time. He gets after it. It was the 80s. Find- in the- <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. They're all doing that kind of stuff. But what I find fascinating with a character like that is because Again, it's blurring the line. It's what's so great about Heat is you're blurring the line between cop and criminal, right? They're, they're both two sides of the same coin. They're both chasing the same thing, but both obsessive and reckless and all the rest of that. Is Vincent, therefore, is Vincent a particularly fun character to write? Because because of the characters drawn to excess, you realize you can put him into excessive situations. All the characters are fun to write. These are not small, little, boring people. They're all larger than life. Uh, Vincent was uh, was particularly fun and challenging to write. Uh, the Chicago sections, uh, which uh, opened the first part of the book, it's years before the events of Heat when uh, when Hannah is a is a homicide cop chasing this very violent home invasion crew. Neil and his crew are there to uh, to take down a score, a tunnel heist at a savings and loan. Uh, but again, it was. This is set in the 80s, and the the characters in this section are younger than they are in the film. They are uh, perhaps because of that more volatile. They're uh, still seeking out who they are. So Hannah, yeah, he is. Uh, he uses his outbursts as a deliberate tactic, which he does in the film too. He 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 says all these ridiculous uh, ridiculous things to throw his uh, snitches off you know, off balance and kind of always make them wonder where he's coming from. So they figure they'd better, they'd better keep him happy and provide him with information. But uh, as Al Pacino has said, uh, it was always in his mind that perhaps uh, Hannah's uh, um, enthusiasm was boosted a bit chemically. (laughs) So we find out, we find out why and where, where that came from. And it didn't, it didn't start in Chicago with, uh, with cocaine. It started in the Marines with, uh, with, uh, you know, being on patrol for 48 hours and uh, having some U S government supplied dexedrine and, uh, and finding out that that uh, inspired him in many ways to, uh, to chase what he was going after, which was just chasing things. Yeah, exactly. All I have is what I'm going after, one of the great lines from the movie Heat. We're talking to Meg Gardner right now. Heat 2 is the book. I encourage everyone to check it out. Number one, New York Times bestseller list. I heard Michael Mann, I believe, on Mark Maron's podcast may have been, and he's talking about Heat 2 protection in development as a prequel or maybe a sequel. Anything you can tell us about that? 
It's Michael Mann. Would you be surprised to hear that he has plans to turn it into <laughs> a film? <laughs> I don't think that that should be shocking to anybody. <laughs> no. But do you think it'll be more prequel, sequel, or both? I have no clue yet uh, as for as for where it's going to go. But uh, he he has uh, he has this he has everything in his mind already. Because that's the big key. People are like, wait, are we going to get more of Pacino De Niro or is it is it younger Pacino De Niro? I'm like, hey, listen, that remains to be seen. I think the prequel part definitely makes sense. And as far as Chris is concerned, obviously, you know, Val Kilmer's health is not the same as it once was. So we'll see where it ends up going. But uh, yeah, the idea of a book being made to the movie would be amazing. Um, one of the characters I really like, and we'll finish this up here, John Voight's character. I, I thought he was so good. You know, because I just thought he was such a calm, stoic, placid character. And I, I loved the fact that he just reappeared in the book. Again, I haven't finished it up yet, but I, I hope there's more of him. Because I find he must have, again, we have these outsized characters. I just love the way his demeanor was so different than everybody else. Yeah, in, uh, in the film Heat, John Voight plays Nate. Nate. Who is a fence and fixer for uh, for. High for you know for crews, highline crews that take down scores, and he is. Uh, we find out that he, I mean, he he got to know Neil in uh, in Folsom, and uh, they have uh, they have worked out a a, a long term uh, relationship. And in the in the film, Nate is uh, very stoic on the outside. He he does not let, and he's uh, and Chris says in the in the book says he's the most cautious cat he's ever met, which is how he's managed to uh, stay free on the streets, uh, running his own bar, but uh, getting people out of the country to Paraguay uh, <laughs> overnight when when the need arises. <laughs> yeah, I love the uh, the fact that we get a scene with Hannah and Nate together is fantastic. It's one of the many joys <laughs> of reading Heat too. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Michael Mann and Meg Gardner. Last question: What's next? Gonna write a book with Martin Scorsese. What do you got in the line? <laughs> we'll see. I'm still I'm still recovering from, uh, from from everybody's reactions to this one. Got to take a breath, and then we'll see. We'll see. I've got I've got some novels in the in the hopper too. So we'll figure All it out. Right for you. Best-selling book, Heat 2 right now. It's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. A big thank you to Meg Garter joining us here in Cinephile. Congratulations, Meg. It's really an outstanding achievement. Like I said, I finished two-thirds of it. I can't wait to see how it wraps up. Right. Talking again Enjoy. Soon. Thank you very much. Well, thanks so much to Meg Gardner. Honestly, go check out Heat 2. As I said, I'm two-thirds of the way through that book. Thank you so much to Roy I Bellamy. love how brutally honest you are in these interviews. Like, you could just, like, you've read it. As far as she's concerned, I read the yeah. book. You're like, I'm exactly at this page. This is the exact amount that I have in the book. I just love you're always, your attention to detail on how far you are and your honesty with these books is great. I love it. Because, you know, it'd be very easy to say I read the book and I loved it. It'd be even Most people do have... interviews without reading the book. Like, you're just so good at this, man. I appreciate it, but it's a very nice compliment of you. Because I figured even if I held up the book, she'd be happy. Like, hey, I actually paid my $25. Cares about. Yeah. But even more, once I see the bookmark, I'm like, no, I'm exactly here. And even when I had to read the experts, I want to be clear, it's page 225. Yes. And she at one point, she kind of gave one of those, like, when you look to the sky, like, she's trying to remember it in her brain. Because yeah. like, if she's, like, 225. Oh, that was. She's exactly like, actually, that. that was at the bottom, though. You're wrong. This was not at the top of the page. <laughs> page 227 feels like in my manuscript. Yeah. Anyways, uh, next week we're doing The Long Hot Summer. I know that for Paul Newman Old. I don't know what our wild card is. And new movie, I'm not totally sure. It might be 3,000 Years of Longing. might be the second season of Only Murders in the Building. Bottom line is this. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review, and give us some love as Cinephile plunging through these dog days of August. Thanks so much to Chris Cody. Thanks to the entire crew. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.